let's make this thing go again into another edition of Midday on the Rural Radio Network. I'm Dirk Christensen, and here we do the roundtable, which is a little preview of everything that you'll be hearing information-wise from, oh gee, all aspects of what's going on across the Midlands. And we're going to quickly move it on over to our ag information. Bryce Diskett is standing by with that today. Good morning, Bryce. Good morning, Dirk. Always some great things coming up on the midday on terms of agriculture news. Coming up at 12.19, Dewey Nelson will kick things off with Dean Hefta with Water Street Solutions. On your newsmaker at 12.45, Shaley Peters with Nebraska FSA Acting State Executive Director Mike Eller reminding producers that the FSA offers specialty targeted farm ownership and farm operating loans to underserved applications as well as beginning farmers and ranchers, so you won't want to miss that newsmaker. And then at 117, Chabella Gutzman will be discussing property taxes, always a hot topic in Nebraska, with Nebraska State Senator Steve Erdman. All right, very good. Now, uh, if I'm not mistaken here, Bryce, you are sitting this uh, this day in our new studios in Lincoln, is that correct? That's right, Dirk, and I have a view of construction across the street where the wind is blowing in Lincoln as well as I'm sure it is in Lexington. A lot of wind out there today. Absolutely. Now, what I wanted to do here while we had just maybe an extra 30 seconds is to have you just give us a a visual. Give us a visual tour of what you see as you look around (laughs) our studios there. What does that look like? The visual tour, there's microphones, there are computers, and there is a video back screen. So, Mm -hmm. as you know, we do a little bit of video as well, along with the audio side of things. So we've got the full production set up here uh, to go live and do these sorts of things daily. All right. Well, thanks, Bryce. And we'll remind everybody that we'll be going live from our Nebraska Innovation Studios on November 7th for our Rural Radio Forum on Immigration. It is Jason Jorgensen who has sports for us. And speaking of the university, we will hear from new director of athletics, Bill Moose. Get his thoughts about what he's up to. First week on the new job. He started on Monday. Mm-hmm. Also, quite the World Series matchup last night. I mean, from start to finish, I don't know if it gets much better. The bit they had before the game for the first pitch with Vin Scully, who came out there at 89 years old and still as sharp as ever. Absolutely. I thought that was wonderful. And then you get into the game. You get a bunch of home runs late. Houston with a much-needed win over the Dodgers. They broke the mold on Ben Scully, didn't they? They did. I saw a lot of people on Facebook. They're like, can Joe Buck just take the night off and Ben can slide in there? <laughs> and I, I, I think a lot of people would have been for that. Absolutely. Also, the state high school football playoffs start up today in Nebraska in eight-man ranks, class D1 and D2. And, Dirk, I'm not a coach, but if I was a coach today and my team was playing... Uh-huh. I'd run the football. <laughs> I don't think I'd try to throw. I think you'd go. And I'd try to punt as you know as least as possible. You go with the basics. Uh, that tough day for the kids, but Absolutely. best of luck to everybody. All right, thanks. And Bob Brogan has our business news. Stocks are trading higher on Wall Street, led by technology companies and banks, as the market regains some of the previous day's losses. President Donald Trump is praising the passage of a four trillion dollar Republican budget in the House of Representatives. Union Pacific has topped Wall Street's third quarter forecast and SkyWest likely to provide Denver flights for Nebraska's cities. So those are some of the uh, stories that we are watching. All right. Thanks very much. All that information is coming away. So don't go away and don't blow away during this edition of Midday.
I think the saying is, oh, oh, the wind doth blow, and it certainly is doing that, Paul Perkins. Definitely, and getting colder, it's already down to 34 right now at Alliance. <laughs> Whoa. Yeah, and already some some strong wind gusts this morning. We've had a report of a 50-mile-an-hour wind gust in Ord, 55-mile-an-hour wind gust in Grand Island, 60 at Hastings, and the wind's still blowing on into the 40s and going to do so this afternoon. And you thought we were windy. <laughs> exactly. This, uh, ag weather is brought to you by Holdridge Irrigation. You know, last year, I remember mowing my lawn the week of Gateway, mid-November. I don't think that's going to be happening this year. <laughs> <laughs> well, you probably won't need the bag if you do. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> wind's expected to gust into the 40s today, up around 50. And increasing cloud cover as the cold front continues to march to the east. We're on the backside of it right now. A widespread hard freeze for tonight as high pressure pushes south with the reinforcing shot of cold air. Usually you get some lighter winds with high pressure. Not going to be the case for tonight. Those winds tonight will remain strong. They will decrease somewhat to breezy levels after midnight. Tomorrow going to be our coldest day of the next seven days. Winds tomorrow gusting into the 30s and more cold air pushing south will keep those temperatures in the upper 30s to 40s, even in the northern Kansas tomorrow. Light winds and clear skies tomorrow night going to allow for a lot of cooling and temperatures as cold as the teens in many locations. A ridge of high pressure edging closer over the weekend. It will start to warm the temperatures up with a westerly downslope flow. Sunday going to be the warmest of those days with size in some areas making it into the 60s. And then we will see another cool down with some breezy conditions arrive for Monday with another front, another chilly night expected in the 20s for Monday night. And then temperatures starting to return to near seasonal by next Wednesday. Even though it's currently dry, nearly all of Nebraska drought-free in the latest drought monitor. Abnormally dry to a moderate drought in the south up south half of the panhandle and also abnormally dry in extreme northern cherry county in kansas it's abnormally dry in a stretch from about osborne to ashland also around marysville to seneca and around abilene salina and newton one lone spot of moderate drought in kansas that's around kinsley key weather items in the markets today include the coldest conditions of the season ahead for the central u.s and a mix of wet and dry concerns in brazil Two surges of cold air arriving in the central U.S. That includes the one arriving today and then again early next week. Freezes this weekend should end the growing season north of the line from northern Texas into the Mid-South. So we're definitely in that. Rain will develop east of the Mississippi River starting tomorrow. Snow expected to blanket the upper Great Lakes. Row crop harvest will remain slow in the Midwest due to those wet conditions and the drying will be hampered by colder conditions at the end of the week here. A hard freeze in the southern plains in store the end of the weekend of the weekend. The cold will slow the development of winter wheat, but right now no damage expected to the newly emerged crop. Also favorable harvest progress in wheat planting in the Delta and southeast U.S. Rain will bring some disruptions to that tomorrow and Saturday. Central Brazil corn and soybean planting remains slow due to recent hot and dry conditions and a slow start to the rainy season. There may be some beneficial rain next week in central Brazil. In southern Brazil, it's another story, a wet pattern also slowing their soybean and corn planting and also their winter wheat harvest. Righty, well, uh, is there any light at the end of this tunnel here or we just stay cold for a while? Well, Sunday's looking pretty good with highs into the 60s. 60s, yeah. And then maybe by next week, uh, by Wednesday or so, uh, looking at a moderating of these temperatures. But for the most part, we're looking at highs probably over the next couple of weeks here in the 50s. Wow, okay. Well, we bid adieu to <laughs> Indian summer, as they say. 
I don't know. I, I know Dave had another term for that, but we'll just, we'll just let that go. Exactly. Our, but, our uh, ag weather, of course, every day with Paul is brought to you by Holdridge Irrigation, when you need weather anytime. Go to krbn.com. has advanced. I'm Shaley Peters on the Rural Radio Network as we take a quick check of your midday ag news. A bill to overhaul the country's agricultural guest worker program advanced out of the House Judiciary Committee on Wednesday with just a one vote margin after extensive debate about the impact of a new guest worker program on farm jobs but also on the meatpacking and logging industries. The Agricultural Guest Worker Act, drafted by Judiciary Committee Chairman Bob Goodlatte, passed on a 17-16 vote. The bill would scrap the current H-2A temporary ag worker program and replace it with a new program that would allow farmers and other employers to bring in 410,000 foreign workers for farm jobs, as well as 40,000 foreign workers for meatpacking plants. And a Nebraska extension study will test sugar beets as a good food source for cattle this winter. Chabella Guzman has more. The UNL Panhandle Research Feedlot north of Scotts Bluff will be conducting two studies with sugar beets and cattle this winter. Carla Jenkins, Nebraska Extension cow-calf specialist, explains the studies. So we're going to have a growing trial followed by a finishing trial. And so the growing trial will start with five or six hundred pound calves and that trial will either have 45% sugar beets in it or it won't have sugar beets in it and we will grow those calves up to about 800 pounds and then we will put them on a finishing diet and those diets will either be no sugar beets, 15 or 30% sugar beets on a dry matter basis in the finisher and then those cattle will be fed out to harvest and then we'll collect carcass data on them so that we will know um, not only dry matter intake, feed efficiency gain but also carcass weight back fat, marbling. Jenkins says the study will benefit both the cattle and sugar beet producers as it will give cattle producers another source of quality feed and sugar beet producers another market. With the Rural Radio Network, I'm Chabella Guzman. In legislation that would make it easier for family farmers to reorganize debts when facing bankruptcy received final approval this week, sending the measure to the president's desk for signature. The bill was included as part of the supplemental appropriations package approved Tuesday in the Senate by a vote of 82 to 17. The measure would rectify a 2012 Supreme Court ruling on a previous bankruptcy reform law that ignored Congress's goal of helping family farmers, according to sponsors of the legislation. The Family Farmer Bankruptcy Clarification Act of 2017 is sponsored by Senate Republican Chuck Grassley of Iowa and Democrat Al Franken of Minnesota. Franken said the bill is a common-sense fix to ensure that the law functions as intended, and that bill would protect family farmers across the nation. And job changes in the commodities markets are led this year by agriculture, which makes up 43% of all job changes in the industry. Bloomberg reports that shrinking profits stemming from years of bumper harvest levels is reducing volatility and trading opportunities for major trade clearinghouses, forcing them to tighten their belts. At least 40 senior managers and executives in agriculture left their positions at clearing houses, such as Archer Daniels Midland and Louis Dreyfus this year, based on account collected by Bloomberg. While in many cases the positions have been refilled, it represents an unprecedented changing of the guard. Specific reasons vary for the changes, but the moves come against a backdrop of tougher trading conditions. Bloomberg says the industry, which for a century has been dominated by ADM, Bungie, Cargill, and Louis Dreyfus, has 
has been forced to make wide-ranging changes. Firms have turned to asset sales, trading in niche markets, or even processing meat to generate more cash. That's a quick check of your midday ag news. I'm Shaley Peters on the World Radio Network. Well, let's discuss more what's going on in these grain markets with Dean Hefta of Water Street Solutions. Let's start with that outside market influence, that strong dollar, Dean. Yeah, the dollar's having a big day here. It's been uh, working its way higher, and it seems, um, you know, we've we've got some macro things going on that end up trickling into the grains, but we haven't had that one-to-one correlation necessarily uh, the past several months. But the dollar is one of those long-term macro things, and it's having a big day uh, right now, and, and gold is soft, too, and... Uh, you know, I love seeing gold strong, not soft, when it comes to the commodities. Right. Good exports this morning? We did. Soybeans were exceptionally good. Uh, corn sales came in above expectations. Uh, but, you know, the, the general consensus is we're, we're behind pace on corn. South America has really dominated that global corn export. You've had a lot of this black sea wheat, uh, feed wheat out there. That's been hurting us on the on the wheat side. And uh, soybeans were a bit behind pace, but, you know, the hope right now is, as we move into November, China is still open on a lot of their needs, and so you could see them continue to come to the table here in the soybean market. And, you know, soybeans have been under some pressure here as we narrow in on the uh, first notice day for the November contract. The traders were short corn and wheat earlier this week and long soybeans. Has that changed? No, I think you're seeing a little bit of that spreading action as we've backed off on some of maybe the South American weather concerns, although they aren't done. Uh, they are behind pace on planting, and you've got some concerns on still some dryness issues in the north and uh, continued wet areas in Argentina and southern parts. But, you know, they've built up a long position in soybeans. They're unwinding that, it seems, a bit here. And they're plenty short corn. And I'd say the downside is limited enough that they're saying, where do we go from here? Uh, let's start working out of this. And that's providing some support, I'd say, to the corn market, despite some really impressive yields as harvest continues, even though it's on a slow pace. Now, you look at that December corn contract. We've been talking 350 any place, you know, give or take a few cents, for the last, what, two, maybe three months? Call it two months, and a majority of that trade has occurred actually inside the entire trading range of one day, the 31st of August. Most of September and October, we've traded inside that one bar. That's consolidation. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. Now, on the wheat side of things, as we continue to lose ground in winter wheat uh, futures, the traders don't seem concerned about the sub-freezing temps that might happen in the southwestern plains this weekend. Now, wheat continues to be in that mode of uh, we don't care if we get rid of more acres. We don't care if there's weather scare. We've got plenty in the stockpiles and inventory. The world has plenty, and we've backed off on some of the global uh, weather concerns. So it's, you know, wheat's just in a funk, and it feels like it's been in a funk for quite some time. And the bright spot here might be those cattle futures today, right? Yeah, you know, that's interesting. Uh, last Friday, we had cattle on feed report that was uh, seen as quite bearish. Uh, we had about uh, three hours of bearish trade on Monday, and ever since then, we've been nothing but hired. Just a lot of uh, anticipation and expectation as we look over at the cash market, uh, providing a lot of support to the cattle. 
Thanks. Dean Hefta, Director, Water Street Solutions. Go to waterstreet.org or call 866-249-2528. Midday continues on the Rural Radio Network, and it's time to look at sports with Jason Jordan. Hey, thanks, Dirk. Well, Nebraska, new director of athletics, Bill Moose, started at his new position in Lincoln on Monday, and he says he's just trying to reach out at this point and meet as many people as he can. I think uh, what people uh, want to form a first opinion, and, and that's why I think it's very important for me to do as many interviews as I can and to get with as many donors and, of course, people on campus. And I mentioned the staff because uh, if they're going to be talking about the new leadership uh, with Husker Athletics, I want them to uh, at least have a, an opinion that, that uh, is educated to some degree by having a, a, a chance to to express how excited we are to be here, but also a little bit about what I intend to do. And Moose replaced Sean Eichhorst, who was fired earlier this fall. The Big 12 has released its next year's conference football schedule, and league play will get started earlier next time around. When Oklahoma plays at Iowa State next September 15th, it will be the third week of the regular season. That is a week earlier than the first conference games this year. Big 12 officials released the conference slate today, nearly two months earlier than they posted the 2017 schedule. And the 2018 Big 12 championship game will once again be played the first Saturday in December. Well, speaking of Big 12 football, Iowa State is the Big 12's fifth top 25 team this week and will host undefeated TCU in its first game as a ranked team since 2005. The Cyclones have won three straight Big 12 games. It's the first time since 2012 that they've won three straight conference games. And fourth-ranked TCU comes in off a 43-0 win over Kansas. Iowa State beat the Jayhawks 45-0 the week before. Well, the Houston Astros climbed out of a two-run hole last night, then blew a two-run lead in extra innings before knotting up the World Series at a game apiece. George Springer unloaded a two-run homer off of Brandon McCarthy in the 11th inning to lift the Astros past the Dodgers 7-6. to The team set a World Series record by combining for eight home runs, six coming in the last three innings. Each team also had four homers, but the Dodgers were out-hit 14-5. And today is the first day of the state high school football playoffs in the state of Nebraska with action taking place in classes D1 and D2. That is a look at sports. Have a great day. I'm Jason Jorgensen. Stay tuned. More Midday is just ahead. You are listening to the Rural Radio Network. Partly cloudy skies in the forecast tonight. Lows in the 20s in the east to the teens in the west. I'm Dave Schroeder. NTV News in Kearney is reporting that there has been a train derailment in Kearney today. They are reporting that a couple of cars left the tracks. Paul Theobald is running for 3rd District Congress. Theobald is an educator, author, and farmer in rural Pierce County in northeast Nebraska. Theobald says he believes it's time to send someone to Congress who will work on behalf of rural people as well as communities and businesses instead of corporate powers. Theobald and his wife raise purebred heritage hogs on their small farm. It'll be challenging Adrian Smith, the Republican incumbent for the seat, and Kirk Penner of Aurora, who announced his run as a Republican. A male suspect was arrested in Kearney yesterday afternoon following a reported domestic assault and abduction earlier in the day. Around 8.30 yesterday, Kearney police were called to an apartment complex 
where a witness stated that they observed a female being assaulted and unwillingly leaving with a male in a minivan. The female victim was entered into a national database as missing and endangered. It is believed the victim and the suspect are married. Then, around 3.10 p.m. yesterday, the victim and the suspect were located in Kearney and a traffic stop was conducted. The male subject was taken into custody without incident and the female victim was in the vehicle and safe. Residents were quick to mobilize after Tyson Foods announced its plans to build a chicken processing plant outside Tonganoxie in northeastern Kansas, but they weren't on social media to court the Springdale, Arkansas-based company. They used their post to organize protests to drive Tyson away. Shannon Reichman says she didn't want the bedroom community of about 5,300 people becoming a chicken town. She and others worried it would be overcome by environmental problems, newly crowded schools, and heavy truck traffic. Two weeks after the early September announcement, local officials withdrew their support of the $320 million plant and Tyson started looking elsewhere. Industry and state officials are a bit mystified that any community would turn away 1,600 jobs. Kansas is still trying to attract the plant, but in other communities. A former chief of staff to Democratic legislative leader says sexual harassment is rampant at the Kansas State House and that she was once asked for sex by a lawmaker. Abby Hodgson said that several female college students working as legislative interns also acted as after-hours designated drivers for intoxicated lawmakers in 2016. Legislative leaders said such allegations are taken seriously and the conduct is not tolerated. Trusted charities are accepting donations for hurricane disaster relief. Do your part using our links at krvn.com. In the News Center, I'm Dave Schroeder. is offering targeted farm loan funding for underserved groups and beginning farmers. I'm Shaylee Peters on the Rural Radio Network, and we're visiting today here with the Acting State Executive Director for the Nebraska Farm Service Agency. It's Mike Eller. And Mike, really just putting this information out there, of course these funds have been available. This is not something that's necessarily new, but as a great reminder that they are there and many people probably have access to them that may not know it. Yeah, that, that's true. Um, basically, we do offer these annually, and the timing of this is that USDA's fiscal year began in October. And with the start of the year, funding for our farm loan programs was replenished. And each year, we set aside, USDA sets aside a percentage of farm loan funding for targeted audiences. And uh, that includes beginning farmers and ranchers, as well as a category called underserved applicants. So. Uh, we just want to get the word out to those audiences that farm loan funding is available to them. If they're having trouble getting commercial credit, uh, last year, for example, FSA uh, in Nebraska obligated $180.8 million uh, in loans to beginning farmers and underserved producers. So that was like 44% of our overall farm loan funds that we obligated. So the option is well utilized in Nebraska, and, and getting the word out is, is a big part of that. Really giving a chance to producers who may not have that otherwise. Who exactly is eligible? You mentioned underserved groups, beginning farmers. Who does that include, Mike? Sure. Um, well, underserved, underserved applicants are defined by USDA as those coming from a group 
uh, whose members have been subjected to some kind of, of prejudice. So those would include, you know, women, uh, African American, uh, American Indians, Hispanic, and, and others. Um, and then the beginning farmers and ranchers, uh, to be eligible must have operated a farm or a ranch less than 10 years and must substantially participate in the operation. So there, there's other criteria, but those are the main ones. And applicants uh, must not have been able to obtain commercial credit. You know, we really want them to work locally with lending communities that they're in whenever it's feasible. But, but we provide an option when they can't meet that uh, local normal lenders underwriting criteria. And this covers an array of things that they're able to use this funding for. Go into that. Well, yeah, it does. Uh, the, the funding is for both direct uh, type of loan funds and then guaranteed loan programs. And within those, uh, there's, there's two types of loans for each. So there's farm ownership and then farm operating. And the, the ownership portion is for uh, purchasing a farm, uh, a, bil- a building or improving buildings, uh, to promote soil and water conservation and, and other items. And, and then the operating side of it, the operating loans are to primarily purchase livestock, poultry, farm equipment, fertilizer, and, and just other basic inputs that, that they would need to operate a farm or, or operate a ranch. Of course, there's always a lot of details and fine print with any sort of funding or loans, but if somebody's wanting to look into this and see if maybe they're eligible, where can they find that information? We can visit, obviously, with any of our local FSA offices. Any office can get that, that conversation started, but we have 23 offices uh, across Nebraska, uh, kind of strategically located, that can provide that full-time farm loan assistance to these, these producers. But really, they can start the conversation by going into any of our offices and just having a discussion about what their, what their needs are and, and start that process from there. Also, uh, they could visit um, uh, offices at uh, www.offices.usda.gov. If, if they want to use that resource, if they're not sure where our offices are, that's a good, good place to start as well. And swinging back around to something you touched on earlier as far as the timeline for this, is there any sort of deadline in play here? Or why is now or maybe sooner rather than later better for someone who's looking at this? Right. Well, you know, we we really don't have a deadline other than, you know, producers need to have this in order to possibly uh, handle their 2018 uh, production uh, needs on, on farms and ranches. So, the other issue would be limited funding. You know, there's been years in the past where the real issue isn't, isn't a deadline, but that our funding gets utilized uh, fairly quick, depending on the category that we're talking about. So, so while some folks are still finishing up with 2017 uh, harvest, really right now is a good time for them to start thinking about next operating season, and, and they are, as they begin to transition uh, to, to thinking about 2018 production. Right, great reminders. Any additional comments while I've got you on the line here, Mike? No, I think we've covered it. Uh, again, the, the biggest thing I would say, if if anyone has questions, we we do have offices across the state. Um, stop in and say hi, and we can definitely uh, look at what your needs are, and and I promise we can help out. So, uh, with when that eligibility criteria is met.
It's Nebraska Farm Service Agency Acting State Executive Director Mike Eller visiting with us today about some of this loan funding through the USDA that underserved groups and beginning farmers can take advantage of. And, of course, for any information on this, you can visit offices.usda.gov. And there's also more information up on ruralradio.com. I'm Shaylee Peters, and you're listening to the Rural Radio Network. Well, a big day in the cattle futures day and lean hogs as well. Let's talk with Joe Teal of Great Plains Commodities about it. Joe? Yeah, it was. It was a good day. Uh, a lot of triple-digit gains uh, in the cattle and and uh, just one of the uh, feeder cattle, but uh, uh, a pretty good day. A lot of anticipation uh, that uh, we're going to see higher uh, prices here in the near future, starting with uh, yesterday where we got uh, a little bit better uh, uh, prices paid uh, for cattle yesterday, and uh, so the anticipation is definitely there that we're going to see uh, the packers really step up and start buying cattle at, uh, at some higher prices. So uh, that really propelled the uh, uh, market today. Then you get the uh, cutouts at noon sharply higher in the choice, and uh, that uh, really helped and uh, kind of finished finished it off. The interesting thing was is the feeder cattle, uh, with the exception of the uh, November contract, finishing uh, well off their highs, getting a little bit of a sell-off here at the end. Um, so that uh, kind of uh, eh, took the uh, wind out of the sails for the feeders, but uh, still... A, a good day because it's green all the way across. Over the hogs, the uh, cash still uh, firm. Uh, cutouts sharply higher there also at noon. That also helped propel uh, the hogs higher for the day. So, real good day for livestock. Thanks, Joe. Joe Teal, Great Plains Commodities. Total cattle slaughter so far this week estimated through uh, Thursday at 464,000, 2,000 more than last week. 1,869,000 hogs, 39,000 more than last week. Senator Steve Erdman of Baird in the Nebraska Legislature was in the panhandle this week. With the Rural Radio Network, I'm Chabella Guzman. Erdman spoke at the Morrill County Farm Bureau meeting on Monday, where he discussed his proposal to alleviate property taxes for not just ag producers, but for everyone in Nebraska. It's important to all taxpayers because, especially agriculture, over the last 15 years, agricultural valuations have gone up 300%, and their taxes have gone up the same. So this is property tax relief and income tax relief. This is going to be equal to everybody. 50% of everything you pay to your public school will be returned to you as a credit or a refund. So whether you pay 50% 50 on your residential, on your commercial, on your agricultural land, it's all going to be returned to you in the form of a credit or a refund. Herdman says while this will cut property taxes, it will not cut into the school's funding. The schools will collect their normal taxes as, as they always do. It will not affect the school funding at all. Any of the NRDs, the local units of government that collect taxes now will have no effect on them at all. It will be the state's responsibility to return the refund or the credit. And so, for example, if you pay $1,000 in property tax, in Nebraska generally about 60% of that goes to the public schools. So that means you'd pay 600 to the public schools. If you've already paid your income tax through employee withholding, you will receive a check in the mail for $300. If you haven't paid your income tax, you'll get a credit of $300 on the income tax that you do owe. 
Senator John Stinner of Gearing and chairman of the Nebraska Legislature Appropriations Committee says the committee is willing to look at Erdman's property tax relief proposal and any other tax relief proposal that would be part of the budget process. But Stinner says Erdman's proposal and any others that come before the committee must have a funding mechanism. As I've said almost from the beginning is that we have to have a mechanism to pay for it. So if you have this uh, credit that runs through the general funds, you have to replace those dollars in some fashion. Erdman's proposal would provide $1.2 billion of tax credits to property owners for the dollars they provide K-12 education. Jeff Metz, president of the Morrill County Farm Bureau, says they are hoping for a solution. Here in Nebraska, Morrill County, uh, we, we, pan, we spend a lot of tax dollars on education and funding our schools, our K-12 districts. You know, uh, right now we're really relying on property taxes and farmers, ranchers, we just we can't, we can't stand to pay a whole lot more. And uh, every year it just gets higher and higher. And, and uh, there's got to be a common sense solution where everybody's paying a little bit more. Stinner says he would also like to see property tax relief, but there has to be some way to pay for it. He adds since lawmakers balanced a troubled budget last session of more than a billion dollar deficit, the forecasting board has continually provided projections that show the state's revenues are not meeting the expected numbers. Stinner says it is obvious more reductions will need to be made immediately when lawmakers convene. Right now, uh, you know, my discussions have been uh, how deep of a cut how uh, and where we can do some cutting, possibly use rainy day funds, you know, what combination of things are likely. As for Erdman's tax relief, the petition is still in the making. And Jeff Metz, president of the Morrill County Farm Bureau, says striking a balance between taxes and education will most likely be difficult. It's never easy when you when you talk about uh, funding education. You know, we believe that uh, it's important. You know, everybody needs and deserves an education. Uh, how do you fund it? That's uh, that's a little difference of opinions, and and in my opinion, in in Morrill County Farm Bureau, we think that more people should be paying the bill, not just agriculture. Erdman suggests the refunds be paid from real budget cuts and elimination of sales tax exemptions. With the Rural Radio Network, I'm Chabella Guzman. In the grain markets. We were lower, Dewey Nelson on the Rural Radio Network, as we talk with John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniel's Ag Marketing in Chicago and publisher of the newsletter This Week in Grain. One of the more noticeable features of today's trade didn't have to do with the grains. It had to do with the financials, didn't it, John? Yeah, it's kind of a rocky rolling time here. If, if folks don't follow the, the outside markets, I think that the trade is a little concerned right now with the, the turnover, so to speak, of the Federal Reserve Chairman. And that, uh, that'll that take place here, we think, in the next week, week and a half. A lot of folks think by the by week from Friday we'll have a new FOMC chair, which, you know, is pretty important, or it'll have Janet Yellen continue uh, for another, I think, three-year term. Uh, it's, you know, I was just saying this to another guy, I mean, really, if, of the most powerful people in the world, she might be number one or two. Uh, you know, the president can do things, do things, but he's usually checked by Congress. As far as controlling interest rates and value of money, uh, it doesn't get topped in that. Right. Now, the uh, dollar did something different than it normally does, and that's rised by almost one full point. Yes, yeah, so that's, that's a result this morning of the, FO, uh, of the 
European Central Bank. So, you know, you got three big economies in the world right now. They're kind of coordinating with easy money policies. That would be Japan, Europe, and the United States. And U.S. has, has made its turn already. We've already cut off our money printing, and we're uh, we're now trying to get into a more normalized uh, what they call financial conditions. Uh, Europe is still printing money. They have negative interest rates over there. So if you go over and put your money in a European bank in Germany, you're actually having to pay to put it there. Um, and they're they're continuing to, to what they call uh, asset purchases. That'll be the the kind of ter- term du jour that you'll hear. And they announced this morning they're going to cut back on those. So they've been doing this now. I, I want to say two two and a half years. And now they're going to start to slowly exit those over the next year. So we still have they're still printing money. It's just at a slower rate. And then they're looking to kind of normalize the back end of 2018. Uh, those these things are all bearish commodities. They're bullish the dollar. The problem is they could almost be a, a kind of a springboard effect if they don't work. And I would be a betting man that uh, Europe is such a mess right now that they're going to have a rocky time ending it. The U.S. economy is a much more oiled machine than Europe. And, uh, you know, the dollar is probably going to rally here in the short term, which isn't great for, for prices uh, like wheat. Mm-hmm. Okay, thanks, John. John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst, Daniels Ag Marketing in Chicago. Again, he's the publisher of the newsletter This Week in Grain. To find out more, go to danielsagmarketing.com, or you can call John Payne Direct at 866-825-8561. Dewey Nelson reporting on the Rural Radio Network.